Welcome to the God of My Closet podcast, where we explore life and light of the love who embraces all of our skeletons. I'm your host, Ben DeLong, author of There's a God in My Closet. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, hello, everybody. So glad you're listening today. I think a lot of people are really going to benefit from this episode and, and from my guest, uh, who is Mark Karras. Um, he is um, an author, a professor, and uh, a therapist, and um, he uses his personal experience and and his expertise to just talk about what it like what it looks like to journey from um, what a lot of people call deconstruction to reconstruction, or just you know people who are wrestling with their faith and and maybe um, journeying towards a different way of understanding their faith. He offers some really good resources and um, and his own story on, on helping people go through that journey. So I think a lot of people are going to really benefit from this interview and um, hopefully check out his book and benefit from that as well. Um, quick announcement, as I've um, mentioned previously, um, my book, There's a God in My Closet, is still on sale. Uh, the Kindle version is on sale on Amazon for $2.99. Um, which is obviously a really great deal. Um, and if you want a hard copy of the paperback, it's on sale for $9.99 on my website, BeTheLong.com. Um, I've noticed that I've gotten a, a few more um, really great reviews on my book on Amazon. Just reviews that blew me away. I, I was just really thankful for what they had to say about the book and and what um, how it helped them. So um, if you left a review, thank you so much for that. This podcast is also now on iTunes, um, the God of My Closet podcast. Um, so if you um, if you have a minute and, and you've enjoyed this podcast, um, hop over there and rate it. That'll be really helpful. Um, well, without further ado, here is my friend Mark Karras talking about his book, Religious Refugees. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for, for joining me. Um, today, I have the pleasure of having my friend Mark Karras on the podcast. Mark, how you doing? Hey, Ben. Well, I was, yeah, I'm, uh, I think, like most people, just in sort of a whirlwind, dealing with the cacophony of voices and emotions and yeah, just everything that's going on. It's uh, definitely not feeling centered in a way, but I think that's mm -hmm. a good thing. But overall, I think definitely in, in comparison, uh, I'm doing well and my, my family is doing well. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, Mark, uh, Mark is a therapist. Um, Mark, you are a professor as well, correct? Adjunct professor at Point Loma Nazarene University. Okay. And then um, Mark has written a couple books. Um, one book called Divine Echoes, a, a great book of looking into prayer. Um, and his most recent book, um, it's called Religious Refugees, and um, I was mm. uh, I got to read a advanced copy and, and endorse it from Mark because it's just such a such a good resource for people who are who are kind of wrestling with their faith, um, maybe letting go of things that they've they've believed for a long time, and, and wrestling with the disorientation of that. Um, mm. And so we're we're going to talk about that book, and and hopefully um, it will give people an idea of, of what they can expect and, and see, see who could be helped by it and needs to go out and get it. Mm -hmm. um, well, first of all, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Sure. Man, that's such a, it's such a broad question. Um, <laughs> yeah. A little bit about myself. I, like you said, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, adjunct professor, you know, husband, father of a three-year-old and just trying to love others, love Jesus and allowing myself to, to be loved. Um, mm. Just using my gifts, my passions to contribute to the shalom of the world. Mm. Um, that's, that's my heart, my vision, my call. It's about sums it up. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So your, um, your book is called religious refugee refugees. So I thought a good first question would be mm. what, is, mm-hmm. what is a religious refugee? Yeah, there were, uh, <clears throat> there's always these different phrases or words that, that are very common for those who have left the church <clears throat> or uh, kind of are in the church, but kind of one foot, one foot out. So, you know, some call it the de-church, some call them the duns, but then you have different categories that other people use with under those brackets. Um, so nomads and exiles sort of, which is great because it really gives, it gives voice to the individuality of, yeah. of uh, these experiences because yeah. right? so many people have different experiences. So to just label them as D church, I think it's, it's uh, it doesn't do it justice. So my phrase, religious refugees, some call them re- spiritual refugees, hmm. Josh, Packard calls them church refugees or, or he uses the D church. Yeah. But I, I thought like when, when somebody leaves their homeland, um, for example, if someone left Turkey and they were a, a refugee, mm-hmm. their homeland is Turkey. So they're a Turkish refugee. So my, my using the word religious is a way of saying that's kind of the homeland that they're leaving. Although mm. religious refugees can be spiritual refugees. So I, yeah. I think in a, in a way I would sort of define them as a person who has chosen to flee their homeland mm. of institutional religion to find a space where they feel safe and congruent. Mm. And there's, so there's this weird way of they're, they're pushed out in a lot of ways, but I don't want to rob them and my, myself, I include myself in sort of that category yeah. of us, of the, the power of choice too, mm. where some are just forced out, whether it's by rejection, being, you know, ostracized by the community. So it is sort of a forcing out by certain practices and principles. Yeah. But, um, but we, many of us have chosen to leave, but even that choice, it's, it's like this unconscious pull where we didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, this ain't, this ain't working for me. Yeah. You know, it's sort of this repeated splinters in our heart and our mind that we couldn't shake that over time we couldn't ignore anymore. And so yeah. we, we either had to choose a deal or some of us are so gifted to use defense mechanisms to sort of push those splinters down Yeah, and maybe go to their grave with some of them. Yeah. But that's when I think of uh, a religious refugee and they're trying to find a space where they feel safe and congruent. Yeah. And you know, it's sort of this liminal transitory space where they might not have found that yet, but they know mm. in their heart that that's what they're yearning for. That's what they're searching for. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, and you've talked about kind of your, um, your experience with this of just kind of having some of your belief systems and your worldviews kind of jarred loose and, and having to face some of those difficult questions. What, what was that like for you? Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it's, I mean, a journey like everybody else, it was long, it was Mm -hmm. years in the making um, of these little, little splinters that I denied, suppressed, 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 couldn't Mm -hmm. do it any longer. And just this unraveling of those ideas of those, like I said, those principles or those practices or those religious beliefs yeah that i i had to say i'm either going to take courage in in going where love is leading me mm. or i'm going to live the rest of my life in the confines of other people's projections and perceptions of who i should be and what i should believe yeah and there's good reason for the disorientation that comes when we we choose to leave that yeah. But I, you know, my experience is very diverse with um, kind of being saved in a oneness Pentecostal church, very, very rigid, very what people would call legalistic and women couldn't trim their hair and men couldn't have facial hair or long hair, you know, mm. but it's not like they couldn't. And that's, the, that's it. It's sort of this implicit. And I've heard even, I heard explicit. Oh yeah. Did you hear she cut her hair? Yeah, she's, oh. in, she's in danger of hellfire. Wow. Like, I'm not making it up. It's like, the, yeah. this was salvific issues here. Um, granted, maybe they're, they're different. It's been a while. I've been out of the women's Pentecostal church for a while. Hopefully, they, they, they hold these things a little bit more loosely, but I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I liked how you said that. Well, it just kind of resonated with me of, of just you said going where love is leading you. Cause that's, that was like a lot of my experience was I, like I, I had to choose one or the other. I can either go where I, I feel like wholeness is going to be, or I'll stay with what I've known. And it's, it's a, it's not an easy choice. <laughs> no, it's not the, because our, our nervous systems, and this is the therapist part of me, like we are wired to belong like literally yeah. in our, in our nervous systems, because loneliness is encoded as a threat. Mm. And then we have our sort of evolutionary tribal brains in the mix where if we left the tribe, we literally we would die like to leave the tribe, to leave the, the rituals, to not conform, to not have these homogenous beliefs and ways of being and seeing the world to stray away from that. We, we could get kicked out. And that was basically a death sentence. So there's a good reason why it's so hard to leave the good that you know, you know, to yeah. receive a greater good that you don't know. So yeah, it all makes sense. Um, and it's for some, it's easier. You know, everyone's got their own story. It's like, yeah, one day I just, I just left, you know, and I became yeah. an atheist and life's been pretty good since then, you know, and others are like, this has been the hardest thing of my life. Mm. And Mark, I got to tell you, it's been about seven years now where I haven't believed in hell, mm. but sometimes on the occasion I have nightmares about it. Mm. Or sometimes I'll, I'll hear something on the radio or a podcast or 
flipping through Facebook and, you know, read something and I'm just, I'm triggered. I'm just like, yeah. um, I thought I didn't believe that anymore. <laughs> Where is this anxiety coming from? Right. Yeah. Hmm. Otherwise known as, you know, what I would call phantom theologies. You know, it's like a, people who lose a limb that, you know, that for some it's like it, a time that feels like it's still there and very real. Um, yeah. But it's, it's not, you know, hmm. when I was, um, I was recently got to interview um, Alexander John Shia and, and he oh, was nice. talking about, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And he was talking about um, how the, the experience of the early Christians who were still Jewish of of them being um being kicked out of the the jewish community and Mm -hmm. and how like and and of course you know in that community and in that time there was such this emphasis on on belonging and Mm -hmm. um and so he talked about how like you know it wasn't just like they said you're out you know they did like like a ritual funeral like they would grieve your loss that they would if if they saw you down, if they saw you walking down the street, they would just say it was a ghost because you were dead to them. And, and, yeah, yeah. and I think, um, I kind of wonder if, because we, because we don't have that, that depth of sense of belonging in our culture, like it's still ingrained in us, but we don't, but it's not in our culture as much. And so I, I think if, I wonder if that causes anxiety for us because we're longing for that belonging, but at, at the same time, we're not sure we don't realize that we're longing for it because we're, we've been told that, Oh, you're, you're just an individual. You're just autonomous. You make your own choices. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this angst in us of like wanting to belong to people. Yeah. And part of like you're alluding to, it's the worst part is not knowing it's not me. Like, you know, as a therapist in working with people who struggle in this domain, it's like the worst part is, I feel like I'm going crazy. Yeah. Like, right. And they, they can't make sense of it. And part of that is the inability to make sense of what really there's a, there's a logic, there's a rationality behind the disorientation. Yeah. But when you don't know, like the, like if shame is getting the best of you or fear is getting the best of you. And this is why in the book, you know, I talk about emotions and knowing them because they're so, they're so, man, they're so powerful and palpable and are moving us in various directions. Mm. But we know now that that which you can name, you can tame. Yeah. So part of it is, you know, this brain, this nervous system needs to make sense of what's going on. That's yeah. why when people hear like, oh, that's why I'm so, oh, the brain is, oh, like our nervous system encodes this as a threat and like, we're wired in our DNA to belong and mm. oh, tribal brain is like, Oh my God, this. And so it sort of eases at times the discomfort. It helps people feel less alone in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this needing to name to tame is, is really important. Mm. So what, um, when, when you look at how um, people are, are going on this journey what what do you see like in the church that that has shifted that has maybe led us to become more prominent lately wow well this you know it's i think i allude to this in the book it's like every 
every person in their own time and culture, you know, we're always like, wow, what in the world is this? You know? Yeah. Like, so in a sense, we, every, everything's been shifting since human beings have been little amoebas. So everything <laughs> is sort of e- evolving and shifting. At the same time, is there something that's very, very um, almost cataclysmic, uh, apocalyptic, mm. um, like this huge, and you know, maybe it's what, like I, I share sort of the, the great emergence, right? With Phyllis Tickle mentioned yeah. Right, that radical, much-needed shift, that sort of need for a theological, ecclesial, doctrinal rummage sale. You know, Brian McLaren McLaren calls it the great spiritual migration. Yeah. So within that, there's definitely a shift. And this, what's happening right now, not only with the pandemic, but the sort of the the um, 4K clarity of racism and the systemic racism mm. that occurs in our lives, this will only create even further and faster shifts, in my opinion. But yeah, qualitatively, in the research, there have been, you know, they, they look at people's stories, they hear people's stories, and then they have, they code these themes and sub-themes. But there are definitely reasons why people are, becoming the so-called de-churched. Mm. I mean, just to name a few, certainly race um, race issues is, is a part of this. And this gets into what I might put under the umbrella of politics and bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. That is definitely a big, a big reason why. And so people, maybe if they, they're, they're gay or they're too young or too old or not white enough or not abled enough or not educated enough, or they're simply female, you name it. These unfortunately have kept people sort of at the ceiling where Mm. they, they they can't get beyond to reach sort of the, the hierarchy here where Mm. typically, I mean, it's been the, the, the white male, um, but it's been the abled white male. It's been the, you know, articulate, educated white male. But there are so many people who are not that. Um, And listen, we we need them too. I'm a white male, so I'm, you know, I'm I'm in the mix here. (laughs) But it's when no one else can join the holy festivities here. Um, That's where it's a big, big problem. And they feel like they're perpetually trying to chisel through a thick brick wall. So they become disillusioned. They say, you know, I can't be who God made me to be in the world, in the church, and that's mm. that's a big problem. So, yeah, I mean, that's one, and you know, the Clone War syndrome I talk about, where I've been a part of churches like this, where they literally feel like they're in a war, they're in war with the world, at war with other churches who believe mm. differently. It's sort of an us and them, like in my one oneness Pentecostal church. We were literally the only Christians who were saved. Mm. I was told that again and again. And why? Because we were baptized in Jesus' name, not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mm. but in Jesus' name. And we, we were filled with the Holy Spirit and we spoke in tongues. Mm. If you did not, or if you were not baptized in Jesus' name, or if you did not speak in tongues, you literally were going to hell. Like that was just, 
and you know, Acts two thirty eight was the anyone who is coming from a oneness Pentecostal or an apostolic background knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So this war, you know, everyone has to be sort of these cookie cutter Christians. Everyone's got to be the same. There's no room for messy dialogue or discussion of different theologies or ways of being in the world. Much too anxiety provoking. Mm. Then moral prescriptions. That's another one where, you know, it's sort of the repeated four steps in management plan, you know, personal holiness. It's all about you. It's all about us. Mm. Fire insurance. And then people are saying, are you kidding me? Like, what about the world? Doesn't God know? Uh, listen, you tree, <laughs> you tree huggers. Listen, this is all going to burn. So yeah. you could be focused on that, but people are going to hell. So, you know, we need to be more concerned about them going to hell than giving them water to drink or food to eat or taking care of the environment, et cetera. So a lot of reasons, and we can go on and on about that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I know for a lot of people that um, something that maybe starts them on this journey or, or is a contributing factor is that they have um, some sort of uh, what you might call religious trauma. Mm. Um, and speaking from experience, speaking as a therapist, um, how would you describe that working? I mean, I, I, I know, you know, there's trauma and trauma mm -hmm. is trauma, but how, like how, how does that work in somebody's life? Who's going through this um, yeah. religious refugee kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there are people with all different experiences. Like I said, some can leave, they would not call it trauma. Um, they sort of just grew up, right? Yeah. There, there are yeah. some who experienced the trauma of religion, so to speak, but they might not have what we would call PTSD. Yeah. So not everyone who goes through something traumatic has PTSD. Yeah. But everyone who has PTSD has gone through some kind of trauma. So how is it that some people have experienced post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is, you know, this is in the research. This isn't just making it up. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, you know, there was this powerful quote by Linda K. Klein, who recently wrote Pure, uh, it was called um, Inside the uh, Evangelical Movement that Changed a Generation of Young Women and something mm. like that. So she talks about this, I mean, this palpable PTSD kinds of experiences where she talked about nightmares and panic attacks and paranoia. Mm. And she said something to the effect of, one might think that we went through war. Wow. When people start talking like that, we have to listen to their lived experience. Yeah. People aren't making this up. And there's been plenty of other studies of people think about what, what I call the um, original sinful hellbound people sort of doctrine. Yeah. That in itself has caused an enormous amount. Once again, People can hear that and they can grow up with that. And yeah, I, I, I'm fine. I left it. It was, it was BS. Yeah. Cool. But others, and this is where temperament comes into play. Um, I'm a very sensitive person. So I think people who are more sensitive and even shame prone can internalize this to a much larger degree. Yeah. So 
so for someone like that to be sensitive and to internalize it and to say, I am literally a worm. I, my mm -hmm. righteousness is as complete filthy rags that I'm so intolerable to God. I'm so intolerable to the creator of the universe mm -hmm. that God, God would send me to hell. And in their minds, you know, in their caricature of hell, to where I would burn and be suffer, I would suffer for eternity, right? Yeah. Or be eternally tormented. And the only way that God can see any good in me whatsoever is through the prism of Jesus. Mm. So basically, I'm basically as good as a rag doll. And, and so yeah. unless God looks at Jesus and then me, I'm, you know, yeah. I, I, I might as well become some fuel for some fire, you know? So to grow up with that and then to try to leave that, it can, I mean, like I said, it can, people have nightmares. Um, you know, this is what I call trauma. It's this indelible mark on the nervous system of a human being where it, it shifts how they see themselves. It shifts how they see the world. It's very, very powerful. Yeah. And one of the, the, um, experiences uh, the criteria in, in for PTSD in what we call the DSM, which is like the you know psychologist Bible, so to speak, yeah. is a person has to be exposed to a catastrophic event involving actual or threatened death or injury mm. or a threat to the physical integrity of himself or others. Mm. When I read that, I'm like, yes, this is traumatic for some people, yeah. right? To think that you or a family member will be threatened to death and eventually be tormented for eternity, yeah. which is a threat to the physical integrity of them. God, that's people, they have nightmares because of that. It's, it's real. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah I, I would say that... <clears throat> the vast majority of my time working with my therapist has, has been um, working with my, um, what's the right word? Working with my levels of guilt and shame that are just, they're just ridiculously high. Like they're, they're not, I can't even think of the right word. They're not proportional to the situation. Like something, something small can happen. I, I can, you know, I can say something a, a certain way and it didn't come out and it hurt somebody's feelings. And I'm just like, well, I'm a shitty person, you know, and, and yeah. it's just like, and I, that's been most of my time with my therapist is learning to, to kind of heal from that. Yeah. Uh, researchers differentiate between trait shame and state shame. Mm. So there are people who might have an experience where they hurt somebody and yeah, I feel you know, I feel a little remorse, maybe a tinge of shame. They get through it, right? They, I'm sorry. Yeah. Everything's cool again. But for some, it's like, no, it's, it's more of um, trait shame where it's sort of so ingrained in the personality where something happens and we get triggered. I, I dealt with shame for a very long time mm -hmm. and it throws us into a shame spiral. You know, yeah. it's, um, it's hard to get out. By the way, I, I read your book and you were brilliant in how you, you talked about your, your, you know, sort of recovering from and your experiences of shame. And mm, thank you. 
that's a whole podcast in itself. Shame. <laughs> yeah. But, but sure. that's part and parcel of people's trauma. That's part yeah. of the consequence. But Ben, can I also share something? Yeah. Is, and this is to be fair to really, this is to be fair to pastors in religion in the sense of, I had to be honest about this. This isn't all coming from religion. Right. Right. Like yeah. I, like I talk about sort of the defense mechanism of displacement and this isn't everybody's experience, but for me who suffered, you know, my parents weren't religious, but when you, your mom is addicted to drugs, eventually died from a drug overdose. Your father was abusive. Mm. He has a mental illness. I mean, my shame came well before I even became a Christian. I right. actually became a Christian yeah. when I was 21. So it's interesting how our previous trauma and some people don't look at or want to look at and they say, Oh, it's all the church's fault. Mm-hmm. But if we were honest, man, we're bringing some stuff to the table too. Yeah. Which is why some of us who were attracted to these omnipotent type of figures in the first place, we wanted comfort in, and they wanted to be worshiped. Uh, we mm. wanted security and they wanted somebody to gaze at them as these all knowing and all powerful, you know, people, yeah. who are, you know, per- talking about the, the word of God. So there is a symbiotic relationship there. That piece isn't talked about a lot and it's I'm not to, not to blame people for their experiences, but just to broaden the conversation. Sometimes that's an element of the, of the issue here. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, and yet for your own self, but then also with working um, with with your patients and other people, what what is what have you found that's been helpful for people finding healing in this? And and ultimately, I mean, I, I think that what a lot of people want to get to is to the point where they can they can be living true to themselves, and they're they're not dominated by trauma they're not dominated by what other people think about them or their fears um what what kind of healing has have you seen that's helped people to get to that point everybody's journey to healing is a little different yeah but i have found some things that have been really powerful um in helping people reconstruct in my book is man i spent a good chunk of it sort of helping people work through their emotional mental spiritual uh, issues hurts pains wounds but also you know how do we move forward in this Mm. but i think something i mean there's so much to talk about whether it's forgiveness or whether it's self-compassion and just to mention self-compassion one of the most liberative ways of working with people, which is coming from, I mean, it's coming from neuroscience, probably hundreds of studies at this point on the, the benefits of self-compassion. It's, and this is probably in my opinion, some of the greatest insights in research in the last, you know, uh, almost a couple of decades here, Mm. but the notion of loving oneself, but not in, not in a, you know, abstract way, but knowing how to do that, knowing when to do that, knowing why to do that. It's been powerful. It's been, it has literally changed my life. Mm. And I also think some of my, my brothers and sisters from the East who really excel in the area of self-love or self-compassion. 
But when you take people who were told it's a sin to really love yourself, mm, yeah. when you're told that your body is somehow inferior to the spirit, where desires are not okay. Mm. Uh, so, so much messages, whether explicitly or implicitly, we get the message that we're, we're not okay. And so I am going to stuck on this tube that goes directly to the, the pastor or the church. And they're going to tell me who I am. They're mm. going to tell me what I can accept and what I can't. But it becomes then liberating to cut that tube, to get out of the religious matrix, so to speak, to be sort of a, a neo, yeah. a new creation where you now get to kill, uh, destroy the gods in your life that have dictated who you should be, mm. kill them, have a funeral, put them in a box, and then do the dangerous but yet beautiful and exciting thing of paving your own destiny mm. in this wild chaotic chaosmos that we're, we're in. So to love yourself and then to, to figure out, and I spend you know, the last chapter talking about values. Like, mm. So regardless of what we believe or what we can figure out, that in itself can be sort of a maze. You know? And people get stuck in, well, I can't move forward until I figure it out. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I can't until I like who is God and who is he really? Is he really angry or is he all love or what about other religions? What about hell? What mm. about, you know, atonement? And so some people like get stuck, but I'm suggesting move according to who you are and your values, despite the internal conflicts you may have. Mm. And that means, well, what are your values, right? What, what makes you, you? Yeah. What is those internal compass? What do you, is it, you know, is it exercise? Is it, uh, you know, loving others? Is it being passionate about the environment? You know, there's so many different values you can have valuing all kinds of different things, relationships, communications, ecumenical spirit. But who are you? What do you want? And how can we help you do baby steps to, to move in that direction, regardless of whether or not you have all the answers? That's mm. been pretty, pretty effective for, for some folks. And then, of course, working through forgiveness and what it isn't and helping them to not poison themselves with the internalized anger or rage and how to use that as fuel to make some life changes uh, instead mm -hmm. of allowing to fester in your soul. Um, so all, all different ways to kind of help people uh, be who they are in, in love and in God. Yeah. Well, when you're talking, it just, uh, it struck me, you know, talking about trying to, trying to kind of pave your own path. And that's, that's really, I mean, that's hard to do anyway, but it makes it even more hard when, um, mm. when you've been taught that you can't trust yourself. Yeah. Um, or, mm -hmm. or you've been taught that, you know, well, you have to find God's will. And by that people mean this one thing that you were meant to do. And if you don't find it, then you failed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's huge. And then on top of it, this is my experience and this, you know, I've heard this from others. There's a sense in which you're doing it alone mm. because, because you, you know, like for myself, I had to work through this, lie that said, if I go off on my own, 
that I am following the path of Satan. Mm. I know it's weird. Like I'm following, I'm, I'm moving away from God. God is sort of mad at me. God won't be with me on this journey because I'm leaving the church, which in some way is kind of leaving God. And so to do that alone, my goodness, that just compounds the already existential issues that whether you're a Christian or not, you're facing, you know, it's identity issues, you know, who am I? What's my purpose? So it's, it's a very difficult, it's, man, it's, and I sort of thought of it as walking in a waterbed rather than inside <laughs> the ground. It's yeah. very disorienting and it's liberating, right? Yeah. To find out who you are. What do you value? Is it authenticity, love, spirituality, justice, curiosity, uh, for, you know, forgiveness or courage, integrity, Whatever it is, kindness and transparency, community, whatever it is, what are your top five values? Can we figure that out together? Mm. And once people figure that out, it's like, man, this is who I am. Mm. And they move in that direction and it's, man, it's, it's enlivening, invigorating. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. And I, I, I think I would imagine part of that is because, um, like when we're maturing on this journey, eventually we get to the point of what, you know, what, what are you going to do in the world? What, what are you going to do to make the world better in, in a way that, that is faithful to who you are? And, and, um, and just saying like, like you talked about what, what is uh, like, what are your gifts? What are your values? What do you have to offer? And, and it becomes, I, I know, um, when I was growing up in the church and, and even in college to an extent, it was, you know, serving God just felt like this just terrible obligation, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. And, and it's just like, you know, and, and, and sometimes, um, you know, it was portrayed that, well, if, if, if you enjoy yourself then that's probably not what God wants you to do because <laughs> he, mm. he wants you to be unhappy and, and um, I remember one of my mentors, he talked about how, um, you know, Jesus talks about dying to yourself and, and, and churches would talk about that too, but, but those church environments would be so oppressive that people didn't have a self to die to. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't have any, like, there was no room for that growth. And it was just, well, I just got to do it because it's my obligation. And, and um, having, having a sense of service that, that gets to come out of who you genuinely are and where you can, you can be like, Hey, I, I do have a gift to offer. I mean, it's so freeing. <laughs> it is but when you're talking about, you know, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus, you, you can talk about it in a way that invites sort of judgment or like fierce uh, pressure um, but, but you can also talk about it in a way that invites excitement. Mm. Like it's a, it's a great thing to deny the ego of its pleasures. So you can be who you truly are in your core. And on top of that, have the capacity in a greater measure to love God and to love others. Yeah. So it becomes more of this invitation into a life of greater experiences of love rather than the sort of flagellant, you know, we need to whip ourselves and 
beat ourselves in the submission and no pleasure mm. and desires are bad. And if we don't, maybe God's going to, you know, be mad at us because, you know, we're not kind of denying ourselves in this area. Yeah. Two totally different ways of talking about a very important teaching from Jesus. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I really hope that it um, kind of whets people's appetite for your book because there's, I mean, we could talk for hours about what's in your book, but there's so many, yeah. there's so many different um, ways of looking at, like you said, finding healing, um, moving forward, kind of helping people grieve, um, just all kinds of things. And that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I, I liked about it is that it's, it's a, just a great resource and you, you put into it your personal experience, but you also put into it. Um, I mean, you're, you're qualified for this. I mean, you are a therapist and, and you, mm-hmm. um, you know what kind of stuff can help people on this journey. So I, I really, really hope people look into it. Yeah, Ben, I, I appreciate you, your work, um, your time, and you're, you're a force of love in the world yourself. And uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by what you're up to as well. Mm. Thank you. How, um, how can people uh, connect with you? Um, kind of, uh, um, you know, mm-hmm. get your book on Amazon and that stuff, but is there anything else that, that you want to share about what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I think the best place I know I say this and people are like, Oh man, you need to evolve here. I say the best place is Facebook. Um, and uh, I do have a site conspiringprayer.com. Uh, but that's kind of more hitting the themes on the second book. And then my, my therapist website is markgregorycaris.com. And I'll just tell your, your listeners that if they do purchase the religious refugees, I will give them a, a free a PDF copy of my other book, Divine Echoes, Reconciling Prayer with the Uncontrolling Love of God, which people are still um, being impacted by and, just asking the question, how the, what the heck does petitionary prayer, how does it even work mm. with a God who does not control people and where human beings have free will? Yeah. So I just want to throw that out there and I love interacting with readers and uh, let me know, let me know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally get what you're saying about Facebook and it, may, it makes me feel old when people are like, well, that, you know, you need to be, I was like, I thought Facebook was, was up to date. <laughs> Instagram, right? Come on, Mark. How come you're not on Instagram here? Yeah. Your Twitter account is, is, uh, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. I hardly do anything on that. That's so. fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm still loved. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks well, so much, Mark. Yeah. It's been great. I appreciate you and uh, you take care. All right, you too. Okay.